Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Adam from Toronto, and I support Creative Control because Vish is full stop one of the best arts interviewers in Canada, or anywhere in the world, really. He approaches every episode like he's known the artist for years, creating a conversational atmosphere that gets straight to the heart of the work. No one else in podcasting gets it quite right like he does, with a mixture of meticulous research, wise artistic insights, and well-humored personal connections. I proudly support Vish and Creative Control on Patreon. You should, too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Tommy Stinson is a legendary musician, songwriter, and singer currently based in Hudson, New York. Originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota, Stinson first came to prominence as a founding member and bassist in the underground rock and roll band The Replacements, whose debut album, Sorry Ma, Forgot to Take Out the Trash, was released in 1981 when Stinson was just shy of his 15th birthday. After that band's initial run ended in 1991, Stinson went on to start relatively short-lived bands like Bash and Pop and Perfect, before joining Guns N' Roses for a 16-year stint on bass starting in 1998, which kind of coincided with his lengthy membership in Soul Asylum as well. Stinson has also tended to a solo career, reunited with both The Replacements and Bash and Pop in the past decade, and he currently plays with Chip Roberts in Tommy Stinson's Cowboys in the Campfire, whose lovely new album Wronger was released by Cobra Side on June 2nd, 2023. 
Now, on September 22nd, 2023, Rhino Records released Tim, Let It Bleed Edition, a wonderful new remix and box set celebrating the replacement's beloved 1985 album, Tim. Meanwhile, Tommy Stinson's Cowboys in the Campfire have a string of Canadian dates, bringing them to cities in Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick, Quebec, and Ontario between October 1st and 13th. And so, with all this activity, Tommy and I reconnected for a nice talk about uh, Cowboys in the Campfire's origin story and his friendship with Chip Roberts, working with John Doe from X, who he's known since the replacements opened shows for X in the early 80s, why the Bob Dylan Center might be located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I mean, it is located there, but the story about why. And why Stinson admires Dylan for being a musical messenger. Writing his uh, song Having Fun during the sessions for Tim by The Replacements and how he feels about it being released now. His thoughts about both Tim and the recent series of Replacements box sets. Writing songs about modern times. Touring Canada. Other future plans. And much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control. That's the primary source of revenue for all of the work that goes into this podcast every week. So if you can support the show on Patreon, first of all, thank you. Second of all, please do. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly people who work there will happily help you uh, look for whatever it is you, you're looking for in uh, those bricks-and-mortar locations. Or you can order stuff online, and they'll ship it right to your house at their website, blackbird.ca. Say you want to order Tommy Stinson's Cowboys in the Campfire record, Wronger, or this new replacements box set, Tim, you know, Let It Bleed uh, edition. Just go to blackbird.ca, type in what you're looking for, and sure enough, I'm sure they'll have it, and they'll ship it right to your house. It's just that simple. Again, learn more about this record store at blackbird.ca. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 804 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Tommy Stinson with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hey, Tommy, how's it going? It's going. It's going. <laughs> I got my cup of coffee going here. Uh, I got a mic happening. It's all happening. Nice. It's nice to have you back on the show. An honor to speak with you again. Uh, first of all, where in the world are you? I'm back home. I'm back in Hudson, New York. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say, welcome home. You were just off the tour you were on. Is that correct? Correct. We got home. Jeez, what's today? Monday. We got home Saturday night. And, uh... Yeah, and we're just kind of uh, <laughs> getting my bearings before I come to Canada in two days. <laughs> well, listen, it's uh, going to be great to have you back. Uh, how was your uh, tour? It was good. We had a lot of fun. You know, we ran into some uh, 
really great people and interesting venues and stuff like that, which is kind of the the way it works for me right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we had fun. It was good. I'm inspired. Like I came home and we're already starting to work on some new material for you know other things, new record and that kind of stuff. So that's a good sign. Wow, that's amazing. That that happened quickly. This is with your uh, collaborator uh, Chip. Chip Roberts. Yeah. yeah, he's my uh, my buddy. We've been collaborating now for about 15 years, and uh, you know, so far so good. <laughs> that's wonderful. I saw some clips uh, from your tour on uh, various. Uh, social media platforms it seemed very uh, intimate uh, i when i listened to this wonderful record uh, wronger am i saying that correctly am i pronouncing that right wronger that's correct is there a, is, doesn't get more wrong than that <laughs> is there a wrong way to pronounce wronger wronger it's a doesn't roll Not off really. the tongue <laughs> uh there's you, you, a, i think you got it uh, thank you there's a there's an intimacy to both the uh, clips i've seen and the material here where do you suppose that kind of comes from, that approach uh, to doing things in a relatively stark manner, I suppose? Well, for us, it all kind of started from, you know, writing together. So we wrote some stuff, originally started writing stuff on a record I'd done years ago called One Man Mutiny. Mm-hmm. We wrote some stuff on that. We wrote some stuff on the second fashion pop record that I'd done that came out in 2017. And it just seemed natural that we would do our own thing, but we wanted to do it as a duo. And we wanted to keep it real simple and tour simply, you know, me and acoustic guitar, him with electric and kind of, you know, do a thing that was a duo. And as we went along and started recording, we realized that some of the things, some of the songs um, really wanted other instrumentation on them. The songs kind of dictate where they go and always have for me. Mm hmm. And so, you know, we put together a, a, a more intimate record with some other uh, instrumentation to augment what we were doing as a duo. And um, I think if we had done a duo record, I think we would have been selling ourselves short because I think um, in, in terms of translating what we were doing, you know, for a, a full length record, I think as a duo would be asking a lot of the listener to use their imagination, I think. So yeah. we filled it in where, I th- where it felt necessary and that, that kind of thing. And now we've added Chops Lacanti on bass, who also played on the record. And um, it's it's interesting, you know, we got, we, we, we've been touring a bit and getting kind of more into the threesome version of this thing with upright bass. And now I've got we've I've gotten inspired to write for that hmm. in a way because you can utilize upright bass as a percussive instrument as well as getting some low end out of it in a way that is interesting to me. And I'm like, okay, so this this is a new way of doing things and approaching things. And I just got inspired by it as we're literally writing stuff, you know, in hotel rooms on our travels this last run. Hmm. So hmm. it's been fun. That sounds cool. You know, one of the catchiest songs uh, in your catalog for me is the title track from that Bash and Pop album you talked about. Anything could happen. I'll tell you, Tommy, every once in a while in my life, still, since that record came out, I'll just start humming or singing the chorus to myself. It really, and that's something you worked on with Chip as well. Is that correct? He came in with that guitar melody, that guitar riff at the top of that, and I said, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and I we wrote that song literally in about... A half an hour. Oh wow, it's a lovely song. It came, it came, it came together real, real quick, and it was really inspirational. How it, you know, we felt together. I, I don't think he liked me taking his riff that he came up with and then making him come up with a counter melody. <laughs> I don't think he liked that part so much, but but he came around. Yeah, you know? well, it's a lovely song, and uh, it's a super sort of charged up song. So it's interesting to me that your next venture together 
was a, a two-person, uh, you know, more intimate uh, configuration, as I mentioned. Do you have any insight as to why you wanted to go a little quiet? I know it's easier on the road and whatnot, but any reason why? That's the whole, that's the whole rub right there. It is low maintenance. <laughs> when you got two people just feeding off of each other, you don't have four people trying to sound like they're playing together in a particular way. And it worked out good for us for a while to the point where, you know, we were getting into doing it. But then, as I said, we kind of found ourselves in need one of kind of upping our game a little bit. And I wanted some back on vocals, which Shop has provided as well. Yeah. We needed that. And we thought, you know, we could also use an extra driver because <laughs> I don't drive. I don't have a license. I never did. And so huh. it worked out. And now we're, like I said, we're up in the game and like getting inspired to write some new material accordingly. I was looking at your upcoming Canadian dates, and I recognize most of the venues you're playing across uh, uh, the eastern part of Canada, it looks like. Uh, but I, as I say, when I look at some of these clips, you seem to be playing a lot of alternative spaces. Is that a fair assessment, like uh, people's houses, things like that? Yeah. Yeah. And that that comes by the design of these days. A lot of the clubs, small clubs here in the States anyway, has shuttered since COVID, unfortunately. Mm. And on the and then the other end of that is with so much traffic out there right now, you literally have to book what little clubs are, are out there still that would be you know appropriate for us. You have to book those a year or so in advance. And I, you know, I can't, I don't know what I want to do next week, let alone a year from now. And yeah. so these work good for us in that we can kind of go, hey, how about, you know, in two months from now, you know, it's still summer break, you know, my kid's off with her mom. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. And yeah. it just works better for us to do it sort of last minute. It's low maintenance. We have a lot of fun with it. They're more intimate. But the reality is we're still promoting a record uh, accordingly, and we're pretty much playing to the same people we would be anyway. We're just not playing it in a, you know, vomit-ridden nightclub. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it that kind of refreshing for you to not have to deal with a vomit-ridden nightclub? You know, I've done everything. I've played everywhere, yeah. been everywhere, and as Bono once said, it's been all over me. And I just kind of think, um, to quote him anyway, I just kind of think I, I like different things. I like switching it up. I like, I like, I have a curiosity about me about doing things any different way. I don't, I, you know, I could do the same thing everyone's doing, or I could do it my way, and I choose to do it my way. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems to be working out. These songs are great. You you alluded to the fact that you and Chip have known each other fifteen years. Is that what you said? Yes. So I I got married to a woman who is his niece, uh -huh. Emily Roberts. We had a baby together, and he and I became fast friends upon meeting each other, so much so that he was sort of retired from the guitar playing when I met him, and I dragged him out of it, and um, quickly lubed up them joints for some uh, <laughs> guitar playing shenanigans. <laughs> okay, so it's a family sort of affair on some level. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and so you began working on these songs together in fits and starts over the last 15 years, is that right? Yeah, bits and pieces, you know, like I said, we, we worked on that um, One Man Mutiny record together and the Bash and Pop record. And what we started doing sometime around 2000, you know, 14, 15 era, kind of before the replacements reunion and, and after, we just realized at one point we had nothing going on in this particular summer and like, 
we just said like let's get in the van and go play some shows somewhere yeah. and we literally did that and we filmed ourselves doing it i put a <laughs> i put a um um, a GoPro in the in the wind in the window of the in the windshield of the van and just filmed some of us just kind of just goofing off making comments about <laughs> goofy crap we were seeing on the road. We just got in fun with it, and um, we ended up what really ended up being the sort of the nucleus of the record t- to begin with was we ended up going to Austin, Texas, right around the time that John Doe had moved there. Oh yeah, yeah, and. At the same time, my friend Christine Smith was running a studio down there, and it just seemed like, well, heck, we're coming to town. I called up John and said, what are you doing? You want to come play some bass on some some tunes we got? And he said, sure. So he came to the studio with an upright bass that I don't think he'd ever recorded with anyone before. I don't think he'd ever played upright bass on a record before or with anyone before, per se. So it was exciting for him, us, and we had a blast recording the first five songs of the record, which would be We Ain't, Mr. Wrong, Karma's Bitch, uh, Hey Man, and one other one I'm blanking on right now. Yeah. And now, I if I if memory serves, uh, you would have had a long relationship with John to in some in some ways because the replacements and X would play shows together. Or is is that right? We started opening up for X in the early eighties. Yeah, I mean, they John Doe has been my friend of mine for nearly forty years. Oh, nice. And- and a very dear friend. I love the man. Yeah, he's, he's such a good, good dude. He's the best. I actually had a weird thing uh, a year ago where I went down to Tulsa, Oklahoma for like the uh, grand opening of the Bob Dylan Center, and he was there. Mm. And then... Uh, no kidding. Yeah. That's cool. You're the second person that talked to me about that. Peter Jesperson was telling me about that, that whole thing and how cool it was. Oh, it's great. If you ever get down there, uh, if you can get down there, I recommend it if you're a fan. Uh, even if you're not a fan, it's just an inspiring... They've just done a really inspiring job of that with that center. But my point is, uh, the week before that, I believe it was, I went to... I traveled back to Ontario, where I'm from originally, for a memorial for uh, Dallas Good of the Sadies. Uh, and uh, John Doe was there as well. So I took two trips for the first time in years. John Doe was in both cities. I thought that was odd. You know what I'm saying? Wow. <laughs> wow, that's strange enough. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't understand why Bob Dylan's uh, museum is in Oklahoma. Well, there's a, uh, well, I'll get into it real quick. There's like a family down there, uh, and they, uh, they put together the Woody Guthrie Center uh mm-hmm. down in that area there and uh they're called the Kaiser family I believe if I'm just riffing here so forgive me if I'm wrong but they're called the Kaiser family and they do a lot of charitable work and uh they're philanthropists and uh, one of their goals is to inspire young people to get into music and uh they view people like Woody and and Mr. Dylan as uh, prime examples of you know what's possible if you use your imagination so that Bob Dylan Center is not simply a, a sort of a museum uh, for Bob Dylan paraphernalia and writing and all that sort of stuff, which, by the way, it's it's amazing just to be around that kind of stuff. It is really meant, in their reckoning, to inspire young people to to show them what's possible if you use your imagination. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so that's why yeah, yeah. that's why they're they're just wealthy people in Oklahoma. <laughs> and I think that's the way to put it. And and it's wonderful. Again, I do. Have you ever been? You you've surely been to Tulsa. Have you been there lately? I have not been there lately. Yeah. No. Well, I'm telling you. You know, you you. I'm not trying to tell you your business, Tommy. If you can book a tour and get down there, I'll tell you what, I'll get you in. I know some people. I can get you in. You Yay. get a tour. I'll, I'll get your whole band, whatever you want. I've done it already once, and uh, I'll help you if you want. 
<laughs> Very cool. Well, that sounds fantastic. I'd love to check that out sometime. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. We'll make a pilgrimage. That's wonderful. Now, I was thinking about uh, some of these songs on this record, Wronger, and um, for example, you alluded to Mr. Wrong, and uh, they seem, some of them, very tender, very biting. Uh, these seem to be captured. Uh, did you write most of the lyrics for these songs? I wrote all the lyrics to these you wrote songs. wrote all the yeah. lyrics. So, yeah. so Chip's contribution is, is musical, I suppose. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a sense of maybe what inspired, where your mindset was at when you were writing some of these songs? Like, and do you agree with my assessment? Tender, sort of angry at the same time. Yeah, you get a little bit of both in there. I mean, you know, once in a while, Chip will throw out a nugget that's a like a that like a phrase or a, or a song title that will 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 run run with. But um, for the most part, I write all the lyrics. And yeah, you know, there's. I I don't I write you know first person second person third person I often I often pull from my experiences but also um, experiences I see with other peoples and things like that I like to try and include everyone so I figure if I add anecdotes from other you know relationships I I witness or see I figure that kind of draws people in a little bit where it's not just all about me as I'm not really I'm not really a songwriter that you know really thinks what what I'm doing and gotten into is all that interesting. But when you add the little bit I got and the other stuff I see around me, I guess it makes more of an interesting, in my mind, it makes more of an interesting story. Uh, They're just really wonderful songs. I I was walking around listening to them in the last uh, week, and I I just really want to commend you on them. Uh, And Really great storytelling. One of the stories that stuck out for me and caught my wife's attention this morning uh, was the song Karma's Bitch. Uh, do you mind, uh, just for those who haven't heard it yet, can you share a little bit about the background of that particular song? Yeah. You know, Chip had told me this story of a gentleman we passed. <laughs> we were in um, Maryland where he used to have, a, a him and his wife used to, and his family used to have a little home. It was a little beach beach community kind of vibe, although it wasn't really on the beach. It was in the Chesapeake, just in the, on the Chesapeake down in Maryland. Mm-hmm. We were, and it's, you know, it's a little community where people ride around in golf carts and stuff. And, you know, they kind of, they kind of, it's just kind of a party community for older folks, really, is what it is. But, you know, we're cruising around on a golf cart one day and he goes, see that guy right there? And he told me the story about this guy who was dating this woman that, uh, you know, he broke up with and started dating his, the woman's daughter. Mm. And the daughter died of alcoholism. She died just, completely just just drank herself to death oh, and no. told me this it's a terrible story but he goes that he goes that's that sick guy right there that's what the story's about and he like whoa so we wrote the song and here it is you know <laughs> i i don't mean to chuckle it's very morbid uh it, that totally it, it's that's not a good story but <laughs> he told me it and whether it's true or not uh leaves the is up for debate but I, I kind of think it does come from a, a so, factual. So is that unu- is that unusual for you to take fodder from like an anecdote like that as opposed to drawing from your own uh, experience? You know, when telling stories, um, we all have artistic license, and I took artistic license on that one. It was based on a true story. I added a few of my own. I in- interjected my own, you know, thoughts into what I thought this man's life might have been like. I suppose a little bit. Yeah. You know, as we saw him sitting on his front porch, basically. So, you know, that's, you know, that's how we do. (laughs) No, it's very, it's true. We were talking about Bob Dylan and Woody Guthrie earlier. 
two two gentlemen yeah. who took some artistic license for sure and continue to i suppose and uh yeah that's the way it works i guess i'm i was listening to this replacements uh reissue uh for tim which i want to talk to you about in a moment but in particular it's striking to me because one of your own songs having fun is uh present here and paul sings it paul westerberg sings it and it's great i just in the context of what we were just talking about i wonder about your songwriting practice these days um and how it's evolved first of all is having fun one of the earliest songs you wrote yeah Yeah. it was certainly among the first things i ever wrote and you know back then when we were in the replacements um you know, early on, Paul was always very supportive of, hey, if you got a song idea, man, we'll do it. Let's do it. Yeah. He wasn't, he was not, you know, sitting there saying, hey, we're only going to do my songs, any of that kind of thing. So he was real supportive, which really, I think, was really helpful in me getting, getting the bug. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, I watched him and, you know, played his songs and learned a lot from him and Peter Jesperson's influence on all of us with, um, you know, cool music and stuff like that so it was a that's kind of where it all started for me now again it's you know the band was prolific but this box set suggests there's a lot of stuff uh and some of the reissues and over the like over the years just stuff is starting to come out from various sessions um this song having fun never seen the light of day really this this version i should say um Mm -hmm. until now is that correct correct not 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 that it should have <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> um, the jury's out on that. So these box sets, I, I'll just be honest with you. They're the stuff that we as the band find cringeworthy, if you will. Um, you know, raw stuff, unfinished stuff, or you know, alternate takes and stuff like that. We find that stuff real cringeworthy. But in the grand scheme of things, to the Uber fan and stuff like that. It tells the it tells a bigger story. It helps tell the bigger story of where things were and gives you lets you gives you a bigger picture. So you know we kind of reluctantly go along with that process. I don't think if I I think if you were ask Paul about it, I think he'd be like, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, to have yeah. alternate stuff. But you know, again, you know, for the fan that wants to see a bigger picture of what, how that record was made, it tells a bigger story, and I think it's I think it's cool. I mean, it, I, again, it's cringeworthy for us because you're hearing raw stuff that maybe, you know, there's a reason it didn't make the record, you know. Well, what is your pers- – I appreciate that uh, a lot. Uh, I will say as a fan, some of the stuff you guys find cringeworthy, uh, I, someone like me finds utterly fascinating and insightful. I mean, uh, the various versions of Can't Hardly Wait on this box set, a, a song that's not even on the album, Tim – I mean, some of them move me. I, I don't want to gush too much or get too uh, emo, but some of these alternate takes uh, move me, like in ways that I they surprise me. Uh, as you yeah. listen back, it sounds like you obviously your relationship with this stuff is going to be different. You know, good and bad memories are going to probably come flooding back when you hear oh yeah some of these totally. things. Um, let's go back to having fun for just a moment though, because I I again I not had never heard this before. And Paul singing it, it sounds like it could have been on the record. Do you have any memory, sense memory of, you know, what inspired you to write that song in particular? Not really. Um, You know, I was starting to kind of, you know, get my bearings about playing guitar uh, at that time. And, um, you know, it was just kind of, and I started to get the bug of writing my own stuff. I mean, it started early on for me. I mean, 
really, I mean, for all practical purposes, Bob was writing songs, Chris was writing songs, we were all kind of writing songs, but, you know, Paul was the one that was taking it more seriously and was it was more in the driver's seat of that, yeah. and for, for obvious reasons. But at that time, it was like, um, and I, I said this in an interview the other day, it's like I was just kind of getting my bearings about me, so... I was starting to also listen to a lot of singer-songwriter stuff and a lot of different things that I was pulling from from inspiration. And, you know, at that time, too, I mean, you know, we'd already gone through the whole, you know, Big Star catalog at that point and all got, you know, fascinated with all that. Yeah. And, you know, and other stuff of that nature, like we'd gotten past all the, you know, the rock and roll, punk, rocky stuff. And we're getting more into the singer-songwriter elements of things to take it. We're taking it more seriously, basically. Yeah. I mean, you know, as I was, I was 19 years old. I mean, I, you know, taking things seriously musically at that point was a kind of a big step. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you you present the song to Paul and the band. They're into it. Uh, you cut it. It's it's done. How exciting is that for you as, as a 19 year old? You know, it was cool to do it. It was a great feeling. It was obvious quickly that it wasn't going to make the record and for obvious reasons and that, you know. But again, the cool thing about it was that Paul was really supportive of that. Yeah. And so much so that he was willing to sing it even. Yeah. So, you know, I, I can't emphasize that enough that that was a really important, it was a really important step in our relationship and us as a band moving forward. Like, you know. Yeah. You know, Paul was the leader of the band for obvious reasons, but he really was very supportive in that. And that's, you know, if he'd been, if he'd been a dick about it and be like, ah, that just sucks or whatever and didn't want to say it, that might have, that might have, that might have actually at my young age, it might have thwarted me from actually writing. It might have turned me away from it even. But it, because he was supportive, I grew from that. You know, you say for obvious reasons, having fun didn't make the, it wasn't going to make the record. For those of us listening to it, Sorry, Tommy, it might not be as obvious. Can you elaborate? Like, what was obvious about it not making the cut, so to speak? You know, I think I think we had better material, just okay. simply put. Okay. We had better material to put on the record. Does Tim stand out for you as a particularly great album for The Replacements? <laughs> Funny enough, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> that the, Some of the songs on there do... But as a as a record as a whole, it was a really hard record to make because of my the, what my brother was going through and what we were going through because of that. Yeah, and it shows. I mean, you can hear all this extra stuff, and you can kind of hear what was going on a little bit better. And so, you know, we 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 eked it out really. You know, it wasn't like and you know, we got our bearings. I think together more around. Please to meet me when we okay. We knew Bob wasn't going to be there anymore. Right. So it's just the three of us forging on with Slim. Yeah. You know, it took us a second to kind of get into that mode, but I think the material evolved in that way with us growing and evolving as a as artists as well. So. Yeah, I feel like the narrative is that, or I mean, for those of us who weren't there and weren't obviously you guys, the narrative would be like, oh, this was an exciting transitional time for the band. But in truth, you were really mired in uncertainty. Is that a fair way of looking at it? Completely. Yeah. And do you feel like that pensiveness comes through on Tim? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, like I said, we kind of eked that record out. It was it was not an easy fit to finish that baby. And, uh, you know, here comes a regular on that really kind of tells kind of tells the whole story in a way, you know, Yeah. Um, where things were. Yeah. Okay, well, listen, I, I appreciate those insights. I want to get back to your songwriting a little bit. So you, you bring Having Fun to the band, um, and that 
as you say, Paul, Peter Jesperson, people were supportive. How often do you start writing songs from that point forward? And and how does your practice work these days? Because these songs you wrote for this record, the Ronga record, are, are really fantastic. And I just wonder about, you know, we've talked about how seriously things started to get <laughs> in terms of uh, how the band uh, took its practice uh, around him. But for yourself, did this, did this, did writing having fun, having it accepted even internally, did that kickstart stuff for you as a songwriter? Oh, totally. Like yeah. I said, like if Paul had been a dick about it and, and anyone had been um, negative about me doing anything, I probably, at that young age, I probably would have, you know, been thwarted from actually pursuing it, you know. Yeah. But because everyone was supportive of it, it, you know, kept me going. And by the time we broke up and I'd already had most of that bash and, that first Bash and Pop record written, yeah. I was kind of on my way. Yeah. And so how often are you writing these days do you write in batches do you sit down and do a bunch or is it just whenever it comes to you you know whenever it comes to me like we were on the road just you know this last couple weeks and uh things were coming to us coming to me as we were traveling and you know working as a three-piece and getting inspired by that the notion of that and um you know it kind of comes when it kind of comes just like that it just comes out of out of the blue yeah. Last time you were on the show, I got some messages from listeners and, and fans of yours saying, wow, I've never heard Tommy talk so much about kind of social issue type stuff. I guess politics came up. To be honest with you, Tommy, I haven't revisited that conversation in a while. But um, it did, I, as I thought about some of the songs on this new record, some of the songs on this record seem to reflect uh, America today. You just went on tour how are you feeling about your country? How, how does it feel to be on the road and meeting with people? What's the kind of mood, would you say, if you could characterize it? In general, we're older gentlemen. We, we take stock in what we see uh, happening and what we you know witness uh, on our travels. And what is happening all over the country is also happening in a sort of a you know micro way where I live right now in Hudson, New York the struggle between the haves and the haves nots and where I live right now, the, you know, finding affordable housing for people who actually are the worker bees in my little neighborhood, whether you work at a restaurant or a shop or CVS pharmacy, even those jobs are hard to fill right now because people can't afford to, you know, live here for 20 bucks an hour. And this is happening all over the country and we can't help but talk to people about it. We see it and we witness it and we try to figure out, well, what do we do? How can we do it? Because it affects our lives too. Um, It affects the housing market up here uh, like it does in other places all over the country. So you can't help but get kind of inspired to try and do something because it is a major, major issue. And it, when you, when you, take the disparity between the haves and have nots and you really you know you really mess with you know the human equality i don't even know what to talk about the racial equality human equality yeah. amongst things as well as racial equality it can't help right now but to just kind of go god what this is so messed up you know yeah and and so and we really feel it you know we're 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 blue collar dudes. I mean, we all come from, my mom was a bartender my whole life. And I know I, you know, I grew up in the, when they desegregated schools, um, in the late seventies, that's when I was, you know, bust all over Minneapolis that it was, you know, and I, and I remembered, I remember it very well. And, 
and how that translates to me now as a as a 56 year old man i'm just kind of looking around just going man this is untenable and i got you know i got two kids myself a 34 year old and a 15 year old that have to live in this yeah. you know when i'm gone and i you can't help but want to do something there's a trick to to conveying such thoughts and ideas um artfully without you know without being heavy-handed um a song on the new record like hey man i think does that it, it, it's talking about socio-political issues but in a pretty light way as you ponder i gather from this recent tour you were inspired to write yes things you experienced maybe things you heard got you writing is any of the stuff you just discussed starting to permeate these new songs you're working on of course it always does yeah it always does what i see and and, and witness and sits in the back of my brain until it comes out of my mouth and you know some people say you know getting politically involved as a as an artist is is taboo bob dylan really didn't do it so overtly although his songs talked about social inequality and things like that yeah he didn't take it he didn't take a side personally and 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 uh you know literally in the public eye and i i, I understand that and i i can't really quite do that uh, as I say that, I'm more. Of, I am a centrist, you know. I, I I believe that both sides have their place, and it, it helps to make a great democracy. But when you see one side totally just being completely, you know, outrageous in their thinking, and you know, misinformed and preying on people that are you know that don't know better, and selling them bullshit stories and 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 this kind of thing that's happening here. Yeah. You can't help, you can't help but react to that. Yeah. You mentioned Bob Dylan as someone who was able to write such songs without coming across as taking a side. I think having that ability to talk about heavy stuff, but in a way where you're like, you don't feel like it's dogma, I suppose. And, yeah. Yeah. And I, he was a great, he's a great messenger for social issues that were happening without having to vocalize his side. Yeah. And, and, and I appreciate that. I try to do that in my writing. I don't want to pound home the negativity of it or, you know, take a side per se. Cause like I said, I'm a centrist. And I think though, that is important that we all be involved and really all get involved in taking care of one another. I mean, geez, I'm not even religious in any way, but damn, the Bible says, man, we're all created equal and we all, you know, have a place here and i just think that's that's how i grew up i want you 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 grew you grew up with paul westerberg and i feel like as i am listening to you mentioned here comes a regular if you listen to songs like left of the dial bastards of young uh swing and party even i feel like these same ideas these universal experiences are a part of those songs like what's kind of going on in the culture in my community those things shine through in those songs but I don't feel like he gets enough you guys in fact got enough credit for um, writing songs that that really spoke to uh, what a lot of us were or I mean I was young at the time but what a lot of people are going through what do you make of that do you feel like he doesn't get again all of you do you feel like you you know I, I think the replacements get sort of um, lumped into like oh they were fun and they didn't care about anything that kind of stuff but these songs on Tim that I mentioned I think speak to the same thing we're talking about to some extent would you agree I do I mean we were outcasts I mean straight up we were we were yeah. total outcasts and um, social misfits really um, 
But one thing that I do know that I, I get from people all over the world about what we've done is really, it really is most poignant in the song Androgynous. Um, yes. I, I still have people coming up to me, straight, queer, otherwise, uh, all over the, the LGBTQ spectrum that real that song really means something to them and yeah. you know to think of paul writing that so early in his life is a huge thing it's a really it's a great and i remember when i was a kid right around that time i used to take the the, the buses all over minneapolis to get around because i don't drive and i remember i'd be talking to all kinds of people on the bus gay people that i, I had a couple different friends that i'd Com, like often be on the same bus line with going downtown to rehearse and stuff like that and um I never thought twice about any of it. They just were people to me. And, yeah, yeah. and I never, I never had that thing, you know, that, you know, people have where they're, you know, they're afraid of black people or they're afraid of gay people or it's, God, I don't want my kid to be gay. I never had any of that stuff in my head. My mom, like I said, was a bartender my whole life. She dealt with everybody. And so we were kind of, we grew up that way. Yeah. We kind of, you know, we, we were not racist. We were not, you know, bigots. We were not anti, gay or any of that we just we just loved everyone and yeah. thought everyone was equal and that's just the way of growing up and i think the real the the real tragedy here is and i'm just going to say it the trump years really opened the door for racism and the closet you know haters to come out and have a have have their voices heard yeah. that really don't need to be heard they don't serve a purpose and it's it's unfortunate no absolutely again we got into this the last time and i appreciate your outspokenness um when you're doing like an interview but like i say it seems to me you've you've approached your songwriting about such things in more of a storytelling and in an artful vein and that seems purposeful and like i was just saying Maybe an extension of some of the stuff that the replacements were doing, certainly around this era. Certainly, like Androgynous is a great example. Thanks for bringing that up. But uh, the songs I mentioned on Tim, I think, are kind of doing that same sort of work. Would you agree? Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, our our purpose here as writers, and I, this isn't lost on Paul, I'm sure, even even today. Yeah. We're the messengers of, of what we are seeing in the world. We are the messengers that you know, have a voice where we got a record company that's going to put out our record. And, you know, what you say in those songs, people are going to hear in the mass way, as opposed to just you and I sitting in a bar somewhere having a chat. Yeah. So, you know, as messengers, and Bob Dylan did this great. He was a messenger for the times. Very great at that. Other 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 writers out there, too, that were able to do that. But as as messengers... You know, it's 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 kind of our job in a way. It's it's kind of what you know people rely on us to you know to hear what's going on in in places like New York City when you live in you know Bohunk, Iowa. You know, yeah, it's like they you know some people don't get to travel like we do, and so to hear some of the you know things in our songs gets their imagination, and that's you know that's a that's a great thing to be able to do that. So anyway, this is some sort of Minnesota thing. It's like you. Bob Dylan, you know how to deal with this stuff. What's going on? Well, I think any writer out there does that. Anyone that's of note yeah. or not even. I mean, you know, you're creating your art from what you're seeing in the world and what's going on around you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> was... how, you, how you articulate that, how you articulate that to the masses is, is where the art form, you know, comes in. Uh, I just want to say, I, as a fan, I appreciate the tact you take, I guess, like the, the way of telling a story in an uh, emotional and an effective way without, you know, 
hammering people over the head. I mean, that is an art form. And yeah. it seems to me you've come from a, a long, you've had really great mentors and you've, you've picked up on what they're laying down, I suppose, in your own work. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. I want to, I want to revisit Tim for a moment. I appreciate the context you provided about what it was actually like to make the record. Um, we are all, some of us, really celebrating this Let It Bleed remix. Um, and I understand from a... I don't know if you know this, Tommy. I had uh, uh, Bob Mayer, Jason Jones, and Ed Stasium on the show. And we talked extensively about this process. And I asked them about um, your involvement and Paul's. And also, to be frank, I did reach out to Darren Hill about talking to Paul. And uh, apparently Paul is retired completely yeah. retired from all interviews. Actually, before we get to Tim, what do you make of that? What, what's your insight into Paul just saying, I'm done, I'm not participating? You know, uh, to each his own. I think he's he's fine doing what he does. He does, you know, he got out of the race and that's, you know, I get it, you know. Yeah. Got tired of it, did what he wanted to do with it and that's it. Yeah. Good enough. You know? <laughs> do you correspond much at all, you two? I ain't talked to him in a in a probably a couple of years now but you know that's not that's not abnormal for us we've gone oh. years without talking before i see i still consider okay. him i still consider him a brother you know and yeah. that's not like any loss of love or anything like that per se yeah well that's good to hear so back to my original question what was your role in i guess assessing what was done for these let it bleed uh, for the let it bleed remix and and remastering and all that stuff what, what, what how did you participate I didn't. <laughs> I um I sat on the sidelines. I mean, Bob does a great job of putting these box sets together, and we pretty much, you know, I, I trust what he does for the most part, and take a you know to kind of take a back seat to that. And you know, we've let we've you know let him kind of run with this stuff, you know, as he's done a good job with it, and he tells he's there to tell a good story and. You know, that's really where it's at. I there's some stuff I've had to get involved with where I that was like a little bit too a little bit too much. But, you know, that's because they're just, you know, they're trying to do the right thing and trying to get the most out of it. So you say you mentioned earlier that some of the outtakes and alternate versions and unfinished stuff is cringeworthy. The narrative around Tim in particular was about the way it was recorded, the way it was mixed by Tommy Ramone. Um, first of all, what's your perspective on all that stuff, the mythology around him? You know, there were two records that the replacements made that I never thought sounded very good. Tim was one, and Don't Tell a Soul was the other one. Mm -hmm. And they both were they both did not sound good because of trying to appease what we thought the record company was asking. And when we hired Tommy early, we thought he came with Ed Stasium, and as it turned out, Ed Stasium's schedule did not comply oh. with our needs, and so mm -hmm. Tommy was kind of forced to mix the record. Tommy, who was trying to appease the record company because he was looking to get more work out of it, as you would, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, it was what he was into and doing. He was a studio guy at that point. Had to mix it, and you know, I think, admittedly, I think he would be the first one to tell you his ears weren't great because he mixed the whole thing on headphones, and. You know, it sounds great now. I'm glad that Ed Stasium, if, if, it, if it hadn't been for Ed Stasium remixing it, we wouldn't have remixed it. We wouldn't have had it done. But because Ed had done so many records with Tommy, it made sense because he was supposed to have been there in the first place. Yeah. You know, 
You know, I, I, in the liner notes that Bob Mayer wrote for this, uh, there's a quote from Tommy Ramone where he refutes the notion that he mixed this via headphones. Did you witness him mixing it this way? What's the what, <laughs> what's the deal there? Well, a lot of the sounds we got, he got with headphones on. Whenever oh, I okay. my recollections of walking into the studio when stuff was going down, Tommy always had headphones on. Yeah. Okay. You know, right. whether he mixed it uh, with headphones or not, you know, I, I guess I wasn't there when he was mixing because I think he mixed it in New York, if I recall. But, yeah. you know, obviously it didn't sound very good. Um, <laughs> it sounds way different than it sounded when we were making it. And Ed Stasium corrected that. So you weren't involved in the uh, project per se, but you have listened to Ed's remix. Is that fair? Yes, correct. Okay. okay. And so for me, and I talked about this with those guys, and people online made fun of me, because uh, I said some of it, some of the stuff he unearthed, unburied, uh, and brought up into the mix really got to me emotionally. Like Some of it brought me to tears. Um, uh, just hearing, you know, Paul humming, la-la-las or whatever, like, it really got to me. Um what was it like for you to first hear this remix? Was it emotional? Was it, yes, we finally, was it triumphant? Like, we got it. We finally got it. Can you describe your kind of visceral reaction to hearing it? You know, I I was just glad that it sounded good. <laughs> I'm, and, and I'm, I, you know, I, it, it had always been sort of in, in my craw that, man, <laughs> great songs just just mixed horribly. And, you know... That was also a time when they were starting to make things like digital reverbs and stuff like that. Yeah. Crap that you wouldn't even use today, right. even though, you know, that was kind of the, you know, new technology back then, you know. <laughs> stuff was terrible. <laughs> it sounded, and you can hear it on that record. So I'm glad that, I'm glad that, you know, Ed was able to take out, you know, take the actual musicality that we fucking recorded and, Turn it into, you know, the right record. Yeah. Right sounding record. So as you are, you know, asked to kind of revisit this stuff you did as a kid, whether it's having fun or or Tim or anything else, because I think there's uh, they hinted that there might be more sets coming if they can pull it off uh, for Let It Bleed, for example, is celebrating an anniversary or, or sorry, uh, Let It Be. I got confused by <laughs> your own <laughs> title copying. Let It Be. By the way, I was never backing that uh, Let It Bleed edition. I never liked that, I, but I was too late to voice that. What, what would you would you have given it a different uh, uh, title? Would it, yeah, would it come up with something different than that? Okay. I don't know what. But I just thought that was crap. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, yeah, there's more stuff maybe uh, coming, uh, and you are sometimes asked to revisit this stuff. Does revisiting your youth and the, wor- the work you did influence what you're doing now in, in, in any regard? Sometimes this happens. Not really. No? Not at all? Not really. No. Nah, nah, I'm going to, you know... I, I, I watch these things. These are done for the fans. And, um, you know, to have someone like Bob Mary kind of take the helm and do that, being a fan and stuff like that, it's cool. I get why they're there. They serve a purpose. It helps. It keeps it keeps us relevant. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're strangely still relevant 40 years later. And and there's something to that. And it's not just Bob Mayer and these box sets. We've been, we're still, we've remained somewhat relevant in the, you know, Panels of sort of the you know independent music or yeah. you know whatever you want to call the genre. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to give it a name to be honest with you. But yeah. you know we're, we're still you know relevant, and that's just I think because of the work we did. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's great. I you when you hear something like having fun or anything else that is unearthed, besides it being cringeworthy, are you ever pleasantly surprised or shocked? Like, oh, I have no memory of even doing this. Does that happen? Sure. Once in a while. Yeah. I don't remember anything yeah. about this record that did that to me, but um you know where's my home? I you know, that was I always thought that should have made the record, but yeah. Um, you know, we did it with Alex Chilton when he was kind of in the producer seat and we didn't quite get the take when Tommy Early was in the seat. We didn't get the good take with him in it. So that's why I didn't make it in the record, you know, and that's yeah. as far as I can recall anyway. So as we look to some of the remaining albums that might be treated to these kinds of sets, is there something you're excited? Like in your memory banks, is there something coming that we might uh, that, that you're particularly excited about that we haven't heard before, kind of thing. Not really. I you know I don't know what else there could be done, but again, I'm not really thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I gather that. No, I listen, Tommy. I appreciate you even indulging in these conversations about your old band. I just want to say that, um, and I also want to say that this new stuff you're working on is really fantastic this cowboys in the campfire um stuff it sounds like you're already working on songs and you've got this canadian tour um any other sort of plans for that band or anything else you're working on that you can tell us about you know i I, you know i'm always working on something one thing or the other and i think at the moment I think uh, we're going to do some more recording for Cowboys and the Campfire. We're going to do some stuff, you know, when I get back in October mm-hmm. and uh, see where it takes us. There's a, there's a line here in the biographical information uh, that echoes what you just said, but the follow-up sentence is, Stinson still has other endeavors in mind. I'm sorry, this other endeavors in mind has me intrigued. Is there anything <laughs> yeah, you can tell us you about? Know, I'm all over the place musically and I'm, I'm, an, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have been able to do this for so long and still actually be able to eke out a bit of a living at it and do what I want. I can follow my creative flow wherever it takes me and that is really, that's really something. It's really something to behold and, and I cherish it. It's, it's fun. I can wake up and I can write anything I want, you know, and, and when I feel like I've got something good, I'll put it out. All right. Well, I, I just want to say on behalf of your fans, we're all very appreciative of this. So thank you for working hard and getting out on the road. If people want to learn more about uh, your work and your upcoming tour dates in Canada and anywhere else, where should they go on the uh, internet? You can go to the interwebs and find TommyStinson.com and find everything that's going on in the immediate future. Yeah. Canada. You like Canada? You like touring Canada? My Canada? <laughs> Heck yeah. Let me snag me a leg. <laughs> no, it's great. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're coming. You know, it's nice when people make time to come up here. It's not. Uh, not everyone does it all the time these days. Yeah, I've, I, you know, I'm. I'm looking forward to this run. It'll be. It'll be fun to you know play some places I haven't played before or places I haven't played in a long time. So yeah, nice, good. Now, if we can go out on a song from either the Tim box set or <laughs> or this uh, this record, Wronger, can you choose one for us and maybe tell us why it came to mind? Wow, that's a good one. Well, here we go again. Basically sums up what I'm about to embark on. It's yeah. all about, it's the same, same, uh, same rigmarole, different song. <laughs> here I go. I'm just, you know, heading out. I'm going to go play some songs after I wrote some songs. And 
when I come home from that, I'm going to come home and record and write some more songs, and I'm going to go out and play some more <laughs> songs in front of people. It's kind of just all I do is I write, I play, and I have fun with this. And uh, again, I'm very lucky to still be able to get to do this. So that song pretty much sums it all up. Kind of a meta song, I suppose, uh, in terms of what you do. Uh, do you often yeah. do you often write on the ukulele? Yeah. I have a collection of them, strangely. <laughs> I went to Hawaii once for a vacation, and I came back with one, and I got kind of hooked on them. They're funny little instruments. And this is part of the live show as well, right? You playing ukulele? Not quite. Not quite. No. They don't translate live so much for me. Okay. All right. As of yet. I, I, maybe when I... Maybe when I grow up a little bit. <laughs> well, it sounds lovely on this song, so let's hear it now. This is uh, Here We Go Again by uh, Tommy Stinson's Cowboys and the Campfire from their new album, Wronger. Uh, Tommy, it's always an honor and a pleasure to get to, to chat with you. I hope uh, you enjoyed yourself, and I wish you the best luck in the future, and I hope we talk again soon. Thank you so much, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. One, two, three, four. Step aside, I'm jumping off this roller coaster. Let's find out where the exits are before we get any closer. Here we go again. Throw out your rusty pen to your old gun monster. You've been riding long enough, you could have had it real posted. Or get yourself a new cool gun, and then it might stick a little.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, it kind of happened last minute in its own way. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been all hopped up on replacement stuff. For those of you who heard the episode with uh, Bob Mayer, Jason Jones, and Ed Stasium, you know, that I've been all in on uh, this new uh, limited edition Let It Bleed thing, the, the Tim box set. Anyway, it's very nice to reconnect with Tommy, have him back on the show. Love to speak with Tommy Stinson, a very lovely guy. And, uh, and I'd like to thank him for being on this, the 804th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available just about wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode you've heard about and you're looking for it, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter please visit vishkana.com and like creative control on facebook or follow the show and me on social media uh various things uh, i am on twitter the show is on twitter at vish creative and you can follow me on twitter and on instagram at vishkana you can also uh find me on uh, blue sky and mastodon yeah i'm on mastodon threads uh uh, TikTok, sort of. I'm on a bunch of stuff. The show has a YouTube channel as well, which some people use to access the episodes. Anyway, you'll figure it out. There's a link in the show description. Just click on that, and you can follow me and follow the show wherever you like. It's I did my best to include as many options as possible. Also, please uh, support this show on uh, our Patreon at patreon.com slash Control. That's where you can make a monthly flexible donation to support all the work that goes into making this show every week uh six dollars american or more a month grants you access to some exclusive content you get the episodes a little bit earlier than everybody else and all sorts of other perks so we also still have some t-shirts uh that i can provide to you uh in, you know as a show of gratitude uh and uh, you can learn more about all of these things again at patreon.com slash creative control thank you so much for donating any amount you can on a monthly basis it means a lot thanks again to the uh, wonderful alberta record retailer blackbird music they have bricks and mortar locations in alberta and calgary but you can learn more about them and order records directly you know so they get shipped to your house at blackbird.ca also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. Uh, both of those uh, cities, Guelph and Hamilton, in Ontario, Canada, and they offer in-kind support for this show. So thanks to all of them. Thanks to Jim Guthrie as well. Lends me some music for this show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And last but not least, thank you for listening to this episode with Tommy Stinson. Uh, go see Tommy live uh, in Canada and beyond. Very busy guy, and uh, please subscribe to this show or follow it. 
and tell your friends about the Creative Control the podcast. Maybe that'll help spread the word. And otherwise, take care of yourselves. Be nice to each other. I'll talk to you very soon. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.